Hmm. Hey. Hey. This sounds good. This is promising. Nice. All right. So moving things along. We tried a few times to get this episode started. It was a non-complete. <laughs> we had technical difficulties, but we seem to be okay now. And I think as long as we keep ourselves fastened to our exact geographic positions and don't move a millimeter in any direction, we should be okay. Sounds easy enough. Yep. We succeed by doing nothing, as so often is the case. So we have to start off by explaining to any listeners who we have the meaning of the cryptic title, uh, which comes from an inside joke about uh, that we have between ourselves. And you do a better job telling it than I can. So you're going to take that responsibility. And then I will um, summarize the article that's at the center of this episode. Okay, so basically, the deal with the hashtag started because East Coast has a huge aversion to using an iPhone as anything but a camera and a phone. So even having him on this app is a miracle because he is just full stop against apps he wants the internet on a computer and not on a phone and he doesn't even know what to do with a qr code (laughs) didn't you say you almost got fired (laughs) because you needed to scan your covid test with a qr code (laughs) yeah they would not have let me teach this semester but you explained the issue to me and deciphered all the all the hard stuff. And so I was I had to say when it was over, hashtag a young person helped me. <laughs> and that's happened with other stuff, too, like parking. <laughs> yeah, you still want to put like quarters in a meter. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? I have this app and we can just look it up by zone and we can pay with a card. Hashtag, a young person helped me. (laughs) So so this goes on with alarming frequency. And I'm actually not against the internet on my phone. I'm against apps. I don't know why everything just can't run off of one central internet connection. I think it could, but um, for some reason, there's this obsession with apps that I don't really fully grasp. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We we have these apps. Uh, It was like pulling teeth with rusty pliers from a five-year-old, but you got me using this thing. (laughs) And so here we are. And we have this article that we read and we gave the title to this episode because it just seemed to resonate. There's this opinion by this guy, David Shore, that the Democrats are hurting themselves because they're relying on uh, young people, highly educated, usually from, you know, wealthy elite family type um, college kids who become the backbone of the outreach of the Democratic Party every four years. Right. So this is the article. It's from Politico magazine. It's by a guy named Ian Ward. And I'm just going to quickly summarize it. This is like the third time we've tried this because of technical difficulties. So it should be pretty efficient. Uh, David, David Shore was a um, just a kid, really, but very good with uh, the polling data and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I guess a lot of regression analysis and what you know, P values and all the things that those uh, stats nerds do. And he modeled stuff very efficiently. And there was an election, I don't remember if it was 2008 or 2012. He was just absolutely, he just ran the table. 
every state right, often within, you know, a tenth of a percent, just, you know, did an amazing job. And so he got, um, you know, the ear of people in the Democratic Party. Apparently, he still has that. At one time, he, he was working for Civius Analytics, I think was the name of the company. It's in the article. And uh, he put out a tweet that referenced an article from the um, American, was it the um, APSR, American Political Science Review? That's the top political science journal out there, peer-reviewed, academics publishing it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's well-regarded among the academic community. And um, that article uh, was about how during election cycles, riots, violent riots, when they happen, have hurt the Democrats. Somebody looked at where riots had taken place and they looked at surrounding counties and how the vote changed and determined that way they're, you know, obviously we always say in social science, right, that um, it's very difficult, very, very sketchy to ever say that um, correlation is causation. So we look at it. Hey, boss, we got Chris coming back in. He's dropped by a couple times trying to catch up with this conversation. I think we finally got the technical stuff uh, straightened out. Thanks for the um, thanks for the faith. Anyway, so he, he puts out this tweet that says, you know, oh, the Democrats have, uh, you know, been hurt by riots. And he got fired for that. Again, kind of proving his point that the Democrats are an echo chamber and they don't want to listen to anyone who's not towing the party line and so on. Well, it led to him doing his own gig and he's done quite well since then. So as he, he says in the article, you know, the, sometimes, you know, the, the bad thing that happens to you ends up working out pretty good. He's come to this position where what he's saying is there's this effect where these young progressive Democrats show up and they become the mouthpiece for the party and the things that matter to them, which in the last election cycle have been things like social justice and health care. The median voter, the much coveted median voter, doesn't vibe with that at all. And it's hurting the Democrats. That's his position. And when you read the article, I think it takes a moment, at least for me, to focus on the fact that he's talking about a voter that exists in the Democratic Party. And we don't think about them very much, but there's more of them than we think. And I'm putting the we in there like an imperial we. So typically people, you know, again, we think Democrats, we think uh, sniveling, liberal, uh, spineless wimps um, concerned with things like, um, I'm not, there's a certain word I'm supposed to use here. Um, help me out, T. The word I'm not about to use is replaced by another word. Um, <laughs> that's trans, that transgender get... bathrooms. Transgender bathrooms are a huge concern for these people, right? Your median voter doesn't even think about it. And the language that's used around it is scary and weird to them and they don't get it. Uh, likewise, um, these people are concerned, as I say, with um, wealth inequality, which I think is a worthy thing to be concerned with. But it turns out that the median voter, the much coveted median voter, the one who decides elections, they historically haven't been thinking about that. They think a lot about right. inflation. Apparently, they think a lot about war, at least at that time they did. Uh, uh, but they're not concerned with the things that these these simpering liberal kids are concerned with. So the party brings them in. They become really important in messaging and their messaging ends up sort of taking over. But it doesn't reach the voter. And the voter that in the Democratic Party is actually what you would consider a moderate or even even, although it sounds strange to put the two things in the same sentence, conservative Democrats. And these tend to be often minorities, blue collar people 
a lot of them are, his, are hardworking Hispanics, hardworking African Americans, and they are they are all about the proverbial dinner table uh, topics of of politics. Again, those things like inflation, the economy, jobs. Good quote in in one of the articles I was just reading. I think it's the um, might have been the one from one from Morning Consult, but I'm not positive. Uh, with a a Hispanic voter who's in that in that median voter class who identifies as Democrat most of the time but is conservative voter and that person is saying you know I figure if I vote for Biden he's going to shut everything down about around COVID that was the timing of that quote right that he shuts everything down and then I'm basically jobless hates that right but that's not the voter who is being listened to that's the voter who is being marginalized and ignored and right so David Shore's point is, those people matter. We're not paying attention to them. Then this guy, Steve Phillips, comes into the argument in the political uh, article. And you sort of get the difference between, uh, we can conceive of it as who you're getting to turn out, right? Trying to boost the number of voters who are coming out for you. Like the idea would be like, because of demographic, demographic shifts, shifts younger and younger people skewed Democrat, the Democrats should be essentially winning everything in sight if only they could get these voters to turn out who theoretically should support them, but just seem to stay home unless something really um, important in their mind happens, like Barack Obama runs, particularly the first time he ran. He really energized a kind of voter who was not typically showing up prior. Uh, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, I think it's fairly easy to analyze that Trump was such a negative factor. A lot of people showed up to vote against him and it boosted the Democrats' voter turnout. So at least in right. the presidential election, they do well. This says nothing about the way that the, that the game is completely loaded against the Democrats, particularly in the Senate, where you can win by 18 percent more votes and end up with fewer seats in the next election cycle, like seven fewer seats, because we so heavily um, allow states where basically no one lives still get two senators. California, you get, you know, what, 39 million people, you get two senators. Um, Wyoming, you have like barely 60,000, 600,000 people, you get two senators. A voter in uh, California has like 167th the power of a voter in Wyoming when it comes to picking for the Senate. And that's anti-democratic in the extreme. But we somehow have agreed that that's all cool and that's okay. When people say, what can I do? I hear it all the time, people saying, good people saying, what can I do to influence politics? Like the number one best thing we could do is abolish the Senate completely anti-democratic institution, utterly useless, get rid of it. But anyway, how do we do that? Uh, that's a good question. It's gonna take a lot, but it should be a priority. It should be for the Democrats an absolute priority. It might take 20 years, but we gotta get that done. The, um, the other contretemps to the idea that we need to turn out a certain kind of voter is reaching a voter who we don't reach very often, the, the voter who switches uh, election to election. They get angry at one party, they switch, they get angry on the switch. Do you, do you convince them of something? Do you convince them that, you know, the Democratic point of view, if you're a Democrat, do you want to convince them that, you know, there is a value to the Democratic point of view? And as we talked, I think, on a previous episode, maybe it was not the last one, which was last night, which was our big night on Cambridge episode, but the last political episode we did uh, where we talked about things that matter to voters right now, right? Um, we, we know, we know with those voters that it is, um, to say the least, tricky uh, to reach them and to change their minds. And how the Democrats message, it's a mess. It's just a GD mess. Um, 
you get like Joe Biden repeatedly saying he's not for defund the police, but, you know, a significant number of voters hear the word Democrat. They think defund the police. And that includes, very importantly, that conservative to moderate, often minority, Democrat-leaning voter who's alienated from the party because you've got all these liberal hippy-dippy college kids running around uh, talking about um, stuff that doesn't matter to them. So that's sort of, I think, tying the article together quickly as best I can. That's where we're going to start from anyway. Did I miss anything or is it on point? What do you think, T? No, I think you nailed it. Um, I Thank agree you. with everything you said. And I think it was a very, it was a very succinct explanation that somehow also touched on all the important points in it. So thanks for that. Well, you, you flatter me. It was actually three articles that we've been going through the morning consult one, Ezra Klein's New York Times article where he sort of really does a good deep dive on uh, uh, Shore, and then the article from uh, Politico magazine. Ezra Klein, not super fan of his a lot of the time, but I do think in this case he did he did a completely uh, respectable job of really digging into all of this stuff and coming up with some fairly coherent responses. And something I didn't mention is that when you want to, you know, compare and contrast uh, the point of view that Shore is bringing versus a point of view that Phillips is bringing is that, you know, Klein points out that it seems a lot of time times that Shore is hiding the ball when it comes to the data. Even though he's a data guy, we're not necessarily 100% sure what he's relying on. He's representing things, but he's not showing all the cards. And so that's a concern of sorts. But again, right. he's not a malevolent person. He's not trying. He's been trying to help the Democrats. So we can assume his heart's in the right place. Uh, he's just not being as forthcoming with the data, at least at that time when Klein published that article. It seemed like that was something uh, that was going on. So with the, I guess the, the question I'll put to you, T, is what do you think? Who's how would you approach it? Is it that, you know, one is it that we need to turn out younger voters who are more liberal? Is it that we need to turn uh, those swing voters around and get them thinking the Democrats aren't you know, satanic pedophiles who are trying to force their kids into education where they're trained to become transsexuals and will have Sharia law at the same time. And, you know, all the, th you know, and the great replacement and the Jews and the blacks are trying to take over from the whites and, and eliminate and genocide the whites. Do we need to convince them of, of the, 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 the voters who are, um, extreme MAGA of that? Like, what, how far can we go in changing people's minds? So do we turn out young voters? Do we change people's minds? Or do we need a little from column A and a little from column B? Um, I would say that we definitely need a little from column A and a little from column B. I think that it would go a long, long way if, you know, the people that Shore is referring to as, you know, young Democrat voters that are basically hijacking the Democratic Party, if they could find common ground with, you know, older Democratic voters. Because I think you get into a situation, and it's not to say that anybody's wrong, which is, you know, obviously a difficult way to solve a conflict when you don't have a person that's, you know, the bad guy or the wrong person. Like when you have two opposing opinions and you're both right, you know, it's going to take a little bit more to come to a satisfactory conclusion. So with that being said, I don't think that the things that 
younger Democrats are worrying about, you know, social justice and health care, for example, those are very solid points. But also, you know, the the older Democrats, the moderate Dems, the things they're worrying about. What did we say those were? Um, inflation, for sure. Yep. And um, well, this was in the episode where we looked at the current concerns um, of Americans. And yeah, I mean, inflation was just far and far, far and away. But for and that was across the board, pretty much. That was for um, Democrats, independents, and Republicans. There was no, there was no doubt that they were that the concern about inflation was, uh, was really what was number one in their mind. And then, as a sort of, I don't want to say a distant second, but um, the next one down on the list and was significantly less was political polarization. Obviously, much more important to Democrats and Republicans. Crime or gun violence was next, and that may have moved up, even in the past week. And then just going down the list and just decreasing each time immigration, government budget and debt, climate change, race and racism, foreign conflicts or terrorism. So that's like about the top eight. And at that point, you're down to something that's only con- only concerning to 15 percent of the population. Uh, and actually in that one, concerns about um, foreign conflicts and terrorism is, is one of the more interesting data points uh, going back and looking at that um, study that was uh, part of the Politico article, I'm sorry, the the 538 article that we looked at yesterday, is it's one where everything almost overlaps. Independent, Democrat, Republican, and the overall average are all right on top of each other there. But that's neither here nor there. That's just to answer your question about what matters to voters. But right now, it's inflation, inflation, inflation. It's that old Bill Clinton thing when he was running for president. It's the economy stupid, but now it's it's inflation stupid. That's what has people that's what has people concerned right now generally. So yeah, with that being said, I think that, you know, there's definitely a way for the members of this party to kind of come together in the middle and, you know, start with the acknowledgement that they both have legitimate grievances. Like the younger Democrats, younger being, you know, like fresh out of high school or, you know, in college, just gotten out of college, they're worried about, you know, going bankrupt because the healthcare in this country is so abysmal. And that's certainly a, a cause that's worth championing, in my opinion. You know, you and I have talked a lot about that. And I think we agree that, you know, nobody should be completely destitute because well they got cancer but you know yeah i'll second on that the other, on the other side but, but hold on hold on. this is i actually have to say before i just jump in and said you mind me do you want me to give me one little thought here no yeah go for it t yeah okay i know you're on a roll but if you can you can put a pin in your thought for one second i don't i, I want to say about the healthcare thing i'm actually much less of a Democrat liberal on that than, than you might think, because I think personal responsibility has to come into it. I don't believe that somebody who's been a lifelong smoker and gets lung cancer or emphysema or something like that should be the responsibility of responsible voters who didn't do that. I, and the way to deal with that, you know, you want to have universal health care. You want to have um, health care for everyone that, that is paid for uh, in, a, in an equanimous way so that the wealthy are paying more and the, and the poor are paying less. But again, 
you know, if, if, if it comes down to responsibility, we can assess that, you know, we have actuarial capacities to tell roughly, you know, what the percentage responsibility you have for a lot of major diseases and a lot of health problems, right? If someone's drunk driving, they're, 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 they're drunk, their blood alcohol level is high, they go out, they wrap their car around a bridge abutment. I don't think that's society's problem. Uh, you did something really irresponsible, and so it's not for me to pay. But if you're talking about a kid who's five years old who gets leukemia, who obviously could have done nothing, you know, about it, yeah, we should pay 100% of that. And, you know, if we're, if you have lung cancer and you're a lifelong smoker and it's like it would have been a, a, a 0.5% chance you would have gotten lung cancer, well, I'll pay one half of 1% of your medical bills, sure, you know, on the off chance you would have gotten it anyway. But I don't see why when people are irresponsible with their health, as many Americans are, they eat bad food, they, they smoke, they drink, they drive drunk, they have promiscuous sex, unprotected. You know, people do these things and they give themselves health problems. And I think it creates a perverse incentive to just pay for it all. I don't want to pay for it all. I want to pay for all of it for people who are not responsible for what happened to them. And if you're partially responsible, you should pay for the part you're responsible for. And if you're completely responsible, it's not my problem. Anyway, that's my that's my little take on that. There, it's um it's not on our topic here, but I didn't I didn't I didn't want I did not want to just walk by, wave my hand it, and say, oh sure, yeah, I think everyone should get have free healthcare. I don't. <laughs> um, I'm again, I'm more like a conservative on that, I guess, because that's a truly conservative point of view. Not that I hear conservatives espouse it. Not that I hear anyone else espouse it anyway. And people tend to push back on me when I say that, too. They get very angry. Like, how will we know? I'm like, we have actuarial people, very smart statistical people. We can figure that stuff out. What if it's not accurate? Well, it's better than what we have right now. Anyway, there's no danger of us getting universal health care anyway, so worrying about it is a bit silly. Uh, I give you back the, the microphone. Sorry about that hijacking there. I just party <laughs> rock hard. My bad. No worries. Um, what was I talking about? Okay. So, but yeah, on the other hand of that argument, you know, which, which is a good argument, something needs to be done about healthcare. I'm not smart enough to say, you know, what that thing should be. Like, I'm smart enough to know that I'm too stupid to come up with an idea that's better than what other people have already tried. But, you know, something should be done. And on that same note, I think that for older people who are voting Democrat, things like inflation are obviously a huge problem, and that's equally worthy of the time and attention of the Democrats. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. if you're trying to campaign right now, the economy is not great. So you would think that a big part of your strategy would be going towards what you can do in the time that you have left, or if you're not in office yet, how you will spend, you know, your first, not even year, your first couple days, weeks, months. Like, I would like to see from these people, you know, kind of like a a PowerPoint presentation, if you will, of what exactly they plan to do. Because I would want to see people who are either trying to get seats or keep seats assuring their constituents that they are going to hit the ground running about these issues. And I think, quite frankly, that there would be a lot less infighting 
between young Democratic voters and older Democratic voters, if people working for the Democratic Party made it their their obligation to listen to everybody, you know what I mean? It shouldn't just be one demographic. So, right, including very much rural voters, and we're going to do a big episode on that coming up. But the rural voters and Democrats are divorced from one another right now, and it's a disastrous effect for the Democrats. Right. But, you know, with with response to the Politico article, it makes perfect sense. And I understand what he's saying that, like, oh, you know, they're they're bringing on kids to the campaign that aren't sharing the same values as, you know, some of the the older Democratic voters. And it's like, okay, well, why don't we do it this way then? Why don't you have the kids campaigning with people their own age And why don't you bring in people with, you know, different viewpoints to campaign with the people who are older? You know what I mean? I just feel like. If you're going to knock on doors and stuff, you're going to have to team up people like young and old. So you go to a house and you don't know who's in there. The kids are in there and the parents. Kids, I mean, voting age kids. Right. It, It requires some some vision if um you say what you're going to say i'm sorry i interrupt you there and then i've got something to throw into bile yeah no i was kind of just going to wind down the thought and say that if these people you know have the data to say hey you know this is how young democratic voters think and this is the way that it is it's not jiving with the older voters well, you would think that the next logical step would be to find, you know, common ground. Like, if somebody is, quote unquote, a little extreme, like, what ways can they make that extremism work for, you know, the person that they're, that they're trying to bring over to their side, you know? Like I said, I mm-hmm. think a ton of these issues are not very far apart from each other. If you have person A saying, hey, I'm worried about universal health care and getting sick and being able to afford that, and you have the older Democratic voter, person B, saying, hey, I'm worried about inflation. I'm worried about being able to afford things, too. Well, to me, that is a direct link. So, you know, what that tells me is you have an entire party who are financially concerned, like, and there, there it is. There's your talking point. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm fond of asking people, you know, I establish what a person's political um, identity is, how they identify themselves. All right. So somebody tells me they're a Republican. So my qu- next question is, okay, so you're a conservative, you're a Republican, right? What is the least conservative, least Republican viewpoint you have? Where are you closest to the other side? Everyone's usually got something, even if they're you know, pretty hardcore, something that they don't agree with their own party about. Where do you disagree with your party? Do the same thing with Democrats, harder with moderates because they don't really have a party to identify with. But I'll say, what is your most outlier political position, right? The thing where you're most extreme uh, away from the center, I guess. I don't do that one very much, but I will ask people. And I usually find I can get something from somebody uh, about something where they're like, yeah, I do feel like I'm pretty much a Republican, but I don't think they're getting the right picture on immigration, something like that. Right. I do. I do hear that kind of thing. I was going to jump in quick and uh, just read a couple of paragraphs from the Politico article, because I think it will summarize nicely what Shore's approach is anyways. Um, he says, 
it's always been true. Um, he's talking about um, the ideological divide and the tendency of highly educated voters to lead Democratic and less educated voters to lead Republican. And, um, and he's saying that's excabriated by these Democratic staffers who show up, um, the differences between them and the median voter. He says, it's always been true uh, that this group of higher socioeconomic status and younger the Democratic, you know, staffer, so to speak, that they're all of those things. But the extent to which those biases mattered has changed a lot in the past 10 years. So it didn't hurt the Democrats much 10, 15 years ago. We wouldn't be doing this episode, he's saying. The way to compensate for those biases, Shore says, is twofold. First is for Democratic candidates and their staff members to engage in more rigorous messaging discipline. In short, to, quote, talk about popular things people can, people care about using simple language as Shore has defined uh, in his preferred brand of messaging uh, restraint before. That approach would not preclude Democrats from talking about progressive coded policy ideas that enjoy broad popular support, such as adopting a wealth tax on high-earning individuals or mandating that workers receive representation on corporate boards, right? So again, like that's the kind of thing, like representation on corporate boards for workers, I don't think that's an issue that's burning up most people's mind share right now. But it's the kind of thing that these young Democrats will talk about, and it confuses people, and they feel like they're talking to aliens. He goes on to say, in the longer term, however, and this is the second thing, the party will have to elevate the policy and messaging preferences of its moderate black, Hispanic, and working class supporters over the preferences of young, highly educated liberal staffers. I think that par or that really, it's a sentence, it's, it's blocked as a paragraph, but it's one sentence. I'm going to read it one more time. In the longer term, however, the party will have to elevate the policy and messaging preferences of its, again, it's hard to imagine these people in the Democratic Party, but they're there. It's hard to imagine them because the screaming liberal left-wingers have so much of the uh, bandwidth, but it's moderate black and Hispanic working class supporters. their preferences and messaging over the young, highly educated liberal staff members. I know those staff members. I've taught at those you know elite liberal colleges on the east coast i know them i like some of those kids i think they're toxic to the democratic cause and the things they think about are just versus the, this um moderate black hispanic working class supporter it's just anathema to them they have no common language there and it hurts the party anyway i thought that sentence in particular the idea of elevating the moderate black hispanic working class supporter would be like cat in tv so take it away you there oh my god another disaster mm, maybe because we mm, lost no okay i don't know if we fixed? lost did, i can hear you can you hear me yes i can okay so i said that those paragraphs seemed like catnip to me did you to you that they will be catnip to you did you hear them uh some of them i was just talking about the need to attract um or not attract but to to elevate the the input and the um, political clout 
of the moderate middle class black and Hispanic voter? I thought that would be very appealing to you. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big part of what needs to happen, you know, and I think that you've been saying that for a long time, that the one of the major flaws of the Democratic Party, of which there are several, is that they kind of just write people off, you know, they campaign in places where they don't really need to campaign, and they just ignore, you know, all of the problems from people that are literally looking for solutions and just going and talking to these people would probably change the way that a decent majority of them are voting. Um, I know we've talked about this a couple of times the past couple of days, but you had a Mm -hmm. great article, you know, about that. And I think you said it was the youngest woman that had been elected. Yep, in in a very conservative Maine district. We're going to, congressional district, we're going to do that article coming up soon. We keep teasing it and not getting to it. Yeah, but it's it's hard not to, you know, because everything we're talking about is just so heavily intertwined. It's it's difficult to to try to make a point and not be like, oh, but but this, but we haven't talked about this yet. But yeah, Mm. basically, to sum up that artery article, I know words. So that we can talk about it a little bit without really getting into it. They basically did like a grassroots campaign where they were, you know, going out and talking to people who did not share any of their views. So, you know, it would be like. Go ahead. I say they went out and talked to everyone, including those who didn't share their views. Like they found some people who did, but they just were not selective. That's what it is. They removed the filter. And then if they would occasionally find somebody who was borderline violent towards them, they would leave them alone. But in general, they found that in the vast number of cases, they could always find somebody to talk to about something. And they, they, got, they had volunteers get involved in people's lives. You know, if somebody needed help, like a ride to the doctor, they offered it. Oh, I'll come back on Wednesday and help you get to the doctor, even though you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. And doing those kind of things built community and, and in a very wholesome way built support for their candidates and their candidate wins as a result. Sincere offers of help were sincerely received as evidence that there was common ground. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of great in a way if you think that things might actually be that simple, you know, and that all it might take, I mean, you're not gonna get everybody, you never do, but that there is a a big section of moderate voters or, you know, flip-flop voters. And if you can go and actually listen to them, you know, not just try to get a vote, but actually listen to what their concerns are, I think that we would find a lot of the time that we agree more than we disagree. And I think that when you find that, it's, it's very easy to talk to people and be like, okay, So, you know, do you have any ideas? Like, what do you need? What would you like to see being done? And it's when they don't do that to these people, when they're just not showing up the places they need to be during, you know, the campaign trails. It just, it bites them in the ass every time. 
Yeah, people people want to avoid conflict. They want to avoid um, being heckled. They want to avoid being in unpopular places. But a really brave politician will go to those places, and and it will make a difference. Uh, but another thing too, I've noticed too, and this is this is interesting. I think for a long time, for instance, um, the way the people in this country were getting their political information very much different. I'm going back to the '80s and so on. Uh, conservatives listened to talk radio. And Democrats, you know, mostly read things. Now everyone's more or less online, and they've just aligned with different um, sources, and online and also through their phones and so on, social media. Social media is probably the thing that's crept in the most. And so then on the different um, resources on social media, people are getting their information different ways. Obviously, you've got Republicans on, you know, tele- Telegram and Parler, and they have their own, you know, gab. They have their own little circle of social media truth that they like. And um, Democrats have the things that they're using and everyone's in their own little echo chamber and so on. And it's, it's, it's you know, again, the game becomes complicated by that is how do you break into the um, information sphere uh, that you're not a part of, right? Uh, I don't think Newsmax or um, One America or Fox or Breitbart or any of those are gonna start suddenly giving the liberals you know, their fair shake. Although then I see in the New York Times quite a bit in the interest of trying to appear, you know, somehow magnanimous to both sides that, that they will publish things. Um, the Hill does this all the time, hill.com, uh, the hill.com, you know, publishing, all, we're going to publish all different viewpoints. Uh, you get a lot more of that, I think, on the left than you do on the right, at least not the extreme, extreme left. I'm not saying daily costs is out there, um, you know, tearing it up with Republican voices. But there's a sort of there's a middle moderate lefty kind of um, place where you will see a lot more conservative voices being uh, opinions being aired. I don't think that happens so much on the right. That's just my general impression. I haven't done a full on, you know, numbers driven study on that. But uh, it's just one of those things that I just, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure is true. So this is why I mean, this is the slipper show, right? It's the new home for groundless speculation. So I need to I need to lean into that a bit. And that's what I'm doing there. If I look quickly at this article, I wanted to just, you know, to give um, to give the man his due, because we also have this guy, Steve Phillips. And I want to voice because I gave um, I clearly stated what um, Shore was saying. But let's just clearly state what Phillips is saying. And then we'll, by then I think by then we will have more or less done our job here. Um, his, you know, his take on it. Um, He's he's he I you know he agrees with Shore's with Shore's premise that the democratic composition of the that the demographic composition of the Democratic Party that's a mouthful um, does not reflect the demographic makeup of its key voters. So the staff is not like the voters, uh, but um, the primary problem is that the staffers are too white, not that the staff is too young or too liberal, and from that modified premise draws the exact opposite conclusion, that the party's message, uh, about the party's message, that Democrats need to double down on the bolder progressive stuff. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's part of what he's saying. We're going to get the base out by amplifying the progressive message, as opposed to Shore saying, we're going to get those swing voters by speaking their language. And that's that morning consult article, uh, again, that I, that I bought up earlier, and saying about the difference between, you know, on one hand, um, you have voters who are 
Um, you know, the question is, can we get people in the middle to vote, the swing voters, as opposed to can we get the invisible voters who don't show up very often to um, to show up and, and, and do their part? So there, that's the that's the conflict. It's in the room. It's between these two people. It goes on and on and on. And, you know, we have to get to some kind of solution. But I think you and I both agree. And I asked you earlier what you thought. And you said a little from column A, a little from column B. I don't think there's any way we can get hurt by going a little from column A, a little from column B, and maybe even a lot from column A and a lot from column B. I do want to deprioritize these liberal white kids. Uh, they're annoying to deal with. They, they'll piss you off if you talk to them for too long. Their heads are in the clouds. Uh, they don't have enough life experience to, uh, you know, be shooting off their mouths the way they do. They're really um, highly opinionated, and, you know, you get a lot of the, you know, one of my favorite clips, as you know, is that clip of Barack Obama saying, you need to get over this woke stuff. Um, I firmly believe that. But again, you know, I'm not a Democrat, so of course I'm going to believe that. But again, I, I watch this, I ponder this, I watch dem democracy in this country, one of the great innovations of history, just crumbling uh, by these people who are determined to destroy the Enlightenment. That's the Republican position is the Enlightenment must be destroyed. That's why I rage against them so much. As you say, we're not Democrats. We just vote that way. That's a very trenchant op uh, observation you made. And I've been living by that. And I just I've fully adopted that now. But we, you know, again, you know, if, if, if we can get any message across in our time that we're doing these shows and the people we're talking to, it's that, you know, things have got to change and Democrats have got to get their act together and they've run out of time. Basically, it's just not we're shoveling sand against the tide. I don't see how we do it, but. I'm going to keep trying anyway. That's the obligation. Uh, do you got some some closing thoughts? Are we wrapping it up here, or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this might be a good place for us to leave it at this point. Um, I mean, my God, we went through so much to get here. And thank you, Chris. I mean, I think Chris <laughs> has been our loyal listener down here the whole thing. Dude, you're the man. You, you stuck with us. We went through some horrible technical difficulties earlier. I wouldn't have stuck with us. So, so I got all the... All the all the kudos to you, buddy. You um you you are the man today. I it's nice to see you down there, and thank you for stopping in. Um, T, Thanks, we always Chris. have to plug a few things. Yeah, thank you. We always got to plug a few things before we go. So why don't you start the line up there, and I'll drop in with my stuff. All right. I mean, it's always all our stuff, but the stuff that you that you're taking care of, and the stuff that I'm taking care of. So let's go there. Okay. So first of all, you can find us on Twitter at Slippers Live. You can also find us on Instagram at Slippers Live. And you can go to the web page, which is www.slipperslive.com. And I know that East Coast has some additional sites to plug. So, East Coast, uh, where can we find your material? Right. So, thank you. So, we've got. Um... I mean, it's our material. It's just the stuff that I curate, I think is, oh, we both curate some, right? So there's the, Sli the Slipper Show was the podcast that started it all for us. And it hasn't been very lively lately, but mostly because we both got super busy around the same time. And then this came up and we've been having so much fun with stereo that we've just more or less like jumped ship on the podcast. We'll get back to it. It tends to be more heavily thought out stuff, more planned stuff, some of it. We also do some music stuff there, which is fun. Not every Slippers podcast is intense, high, high drama political stuff, but some of it is. That's at theslippersshow.com, all the back episodes. 
you've been on the past 18 of them. It had a, it had a life before you. Um, the less said about that, the better. But it's all there. The whole history of the Slippers show is there. Uh, in there, you also can find the origin of why it is the Slippers show and why we are Slippers TBD and Slippers East Coast. It's in an episode. I don't remember which one. You'd have to read the episode descriptions. But anyways, so that's that. We then, for that show, we also created a subreddit that is uh, reddit.com forward stroke r forward stroke the Slippers show. And that actually turned into a music sub. So we've just posted a ton of great music there. Um, it's, you know, all decades going back to the 50s. Uh, good, good stuff that we both like. I think, you know, we've got a few followers there. People drop in. You can just go through it. You know, go back a little bit to a page you haven't been on before and listen to the songs. It's eclectic. It's a whole bunch of different stuff in there. Um, there, you know, there's um, there's there's hip hop, there's folk, there's rock, there's country, there's every most kinds of musical genres. We don't have any opera, I don't think. We don't have any um, gospel uh, or very much of it. There might be some Sam Cooke in there, which is gospel inspired, or some um, other gospel sort of ish artists. But in general, you know, you've just got for a lot of mainstream music is in there well represented. I've been doing a lot of Beatles stuff lately. These are just links to YouTube videos. A lot of it's obscure live stuff that I've dug up and the TBD is dug up. And so that's good stuff. That's connected to the Slipper Show um, on Reddit. And then there's also another uh, website that I curate is the Slippers Report. And that is aggregation of news stories uh, categorized by real news, something, things that aren't news that people sometimes think are, but shouldn't be categorized as news because they're distractions from the news and fake news, news stories that are not real, uh, that are, that are lies that are put out there. So you can sort of look at that and see the, the spectrum of news from the fake to the real and take it in that way. And some of those articles are things we talk about here. It all integrates. It's all part of the whole slippers media empire that is just blowing up. Um, really, we're just we're just doing so great here. Um, Want to say, you know, again, thank people who've been coming by, people who've been checking us out, um, the followers, the listeners. Um, we're winding it up here. Still haven't seen uh, our micro celebrity friend Tyler again, but I'm still hoping you'll come back, buddy, one day. <laughs> and that's uh, that's what I got. T, are we done here? Yeah, I think we're done here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Slippers East Coast, for showing up. Of course. And we'll probably do another one late, late, late night, as is our habit. We'll go from there. Yeah. Awesome. Got our, uh, got our technical difficulties straightened out. So, T, I'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.